don't listen to classic rock radio stations. It's been a minute. It's been a minute, but unfortunately I do because I have an extremely short commute to work, so I just leave it on because nothing else comes in. I know that feeling. So have you ever noticed that the Beatles are never, ever played on classic rock radio stations? Oh shit, you know what? I've never noticed that. They're played on like oldies radio stations from like mid-60s and earlier. But never on a classic rock radio station. That's fucking weird. Which is weird because they were around and kicking until the 70s, or 1970. Right. And they play 60s Rolling Stones songs. Also, they'll play Paul McCartney and Wings songs. Right. And they will play that version of Come Together by Aerosmith (laughs) that I fucking hate. They love that song. They really do. But they won't play Beatles. Why do you think that is? I do think there's like a secret like agreement like can never play all songs on the radio i don't know not on the classic rock we don't want to be played after nirvana smells like teen spirit <laughs> it's not classic rock <laughs> you don't have a very lovely structure <laughs> on your channels yeah i have no idea that's I've... fucking i never noticed that before yeah that caught me for some reason the other day when i was driving to work and i was like <laughs> i've never heard a fucking Beatles song like what the fuck no really like, you would think that they would play like Revolution or I don't know, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds or something, but they don't. They will play covers though. Yeah, they sure will. They'll play Knock Knock Knockin' on Heaven's Door by fucking Guns N' Roses till the cows come home. I fucking hate that song. I hate it too. Honestly, I don't really need to hear pretty much any Guns N' Roses song ever again <laughs> because of classic rock channels. Yeah. yeah. So. Like, what the fuck's up, classic yeah. rock stations? If somebody knows what the fuck is up and why you don't hear the Beatles on classic rock, or maybe it's just our classic rock stations. No, I mean, I never heard them growing up either. But then again, I grew up not that far from yeah. here. But Maybe it's still. a New York thing. Maybe, but also the classic rock station that I usually listen to is an iHeartRadio mm. station. Aren't so. they all now? Pretty much. Unless it's an independent station, it's pretty much all iHeartRadio. Yeah, pretty much. So Which, that's sadder. I mean, it's it's no different than when all of them were owned by what was it, Clearwater? Oh, Clear Channel. Clear Channel. Clear Channel Water Revival. Clearwater, I think, has something to do with Scientology. So <laughs> same thing. Same diff. Same diff. But yeah, conspiracy. I think so. I'm, Let's make it up. All right, ready to ready to do it. By Aliens. the end of this episode, we need to have that conspiracy figured out yep. and on the internet. All right, I am working on my Pepe Silvia board <laughs> you right your Pepe now. Pepe Silvia board. We're gonna fucking Charlie Day this real hard. Yeah, I'm already on it. I've got the suit and the tie or the shirt, shirt and the tie. Let's go. Shirt and the tie, shoes and lips and the all the things <laughs> to make a conspiracy. We got it. All right. Welcome to Rock Candy. Your weekly keyboard warriors. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, no. No. <laughs> uh, but everyone already hates us. I know. We right? don't need to be hated more. <laughs> by the five people I mean, that do like us. Why not just go full circle? Just All make right. everybody fucking hate us. You know what? Everybody loves a villain. <laughs> Maybe that's how we're going to get love. That's how we get loved is by going 
full heel turn full joe rogan all right oh god i don't even know if this is all a bad idea oh we're your hosts maggie i'm ashley and we're not gonna be joe rogan we're, we're full of bad ideas oh so. my god we are so full but of bad we are ideas. here to bring you the the up-to-date up-to-the-minute conspiracy theories conspiracy theories it's perfect oh i mean we make up a lot of them as we keep drinking which we're drinking a lot tonight. We have we have many things to beverage on, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, yes, welcome back to Rock Candy. Most of you are probably hearing and waiting for the second part of John Lennon. If you are, what are you doing with your life? No, but- I think that these have been fascinating and we are insightful and intelligent humans who did the research <laughs> and have thoughts and a lot of headaches because of all of the research yes i mean i will say it was quite freeing to start working on my next topic because it wasn't a beetle (laughs) yeah i really can't wait until the farthest thing from a beetle you could get after this i never want to hear a beetle's name ever again yeah i don't want to hear shit about any maharishis I don't want to hear anything about Yoko Ono nope. either. No. So like, I'm just, over it. They're all alive. Like, well, they're not all alive. Some of them are alive. Some of them are dead. And everybody's just doing their thing. And it's great. And everyone is still probably idol worshipping the wrong people. Yeah. So, yeah, there's yeah. going to be a lot of that today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Ooh. All right. Yeah. Well, we are drinking a lot to get through this then. We, first of all, uh, cracked open a bottle of the, uh, this, this, we didn't advertise this, but we cracked open a bottle of Clyde Spider Cider. Yeah. Which is a pumpkin cider, but kind of a wine. Yeah, but also definitely tastes like apples and not pumpkin. No, it's got like a cinnamon-y. Cinnamon-y? Cinnamon-y going on there. It does. It smells like a pie. Yeah. It's, it's quite lovely. It's actually really good. A lot we, drier we were, than I thought it was. We were be. a little skeptical looking at the bottle. Yeah. So if you look it up and you see it and you're like, I don't know about that. It's actually quite good. It's really good. If you lick it dry. Actually, even if you like a sweet, I think there's enough sweetness to keep it coming. Mm-hmm. So there you go. And then I am drinking um, a nice, lovely Berliner style Weiss beer. It's from Skygazer Brewing Company called Watercolors Nano. And it's a uh, blackberry mango. Mixed in this delicious beer. I thought it was the other way around. Mango blackberry? Oh, no. I thought it was called Skygazer. And it was from a brewery called Watercolors. I did the same thing. They did the label wrong. (laughs) I mean, no, it works. Because once I, like, really look at it, it's quite good. I do really like this nice fruity little beverage. It's pretty good. I'm already getting myself a little clicked up and ready to go for John Lennon part two. Yeah, good thing this uh, pumpkin cider is eight percent because um, we need it. Mm. And I would I would say that this beer can relate to John because it's watercolors, and John was an art school kid who probably painted with watercolors. Sure, I that's my we'll new favorite that. thing is to correlate the beer somehow with the artist. But also, we're talking a lot about. Yoko mm. and she was also an artist so she was art makes sense she arguably was, much more of an artist like visual artist than John she was a visual was. artist yes but art like, art period <laughs> John and Yoko equals art art <laughs> well let's start yes. and uh see where it goes <laughs> 
When we last left our anti-hero, it was 1963 and his son Julian was just born. He went on vacation, but not with his new wife, instead going to Spain with the Beatles manager, Brian Epstein. John was the new father in 1963, but he had nearly forgotten his own. Alf was working as a dishwasher at the Greyhound Hotel in Middlesex when he realized his son was a super famous musician. He just dropped the cat he was about to. He was like, (laughs) well, son's famous. I need to go see him. The cat he was using as a scrub brush? No, because like Alf, the oh. alien, eats cats. I assume that John Lennon's dad he Alf just also had his cats. mouth on a cat's head. Like, huh? Yes. <laughs> just, just run with the cat's his- mouth, in, cat's head in his mouth still. Seeing like his son on Ed Sullivan. <laughs> So he paid a visit to his son in 1965, rolling into the NEMS department store with a journalist asking to see John. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's a bit presumptuous. <laughs> right? Which makes me think he must have gone to the journalist first and been like, how can I get a hold of John? And he was like, well, their manager is Brian Epstein, so let's go to the department store. That seems like a good bet. Like, how... Pre-internet, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Yo, shippy cray. (laughs) Brian set up a meeting between the estranged father and his son in a panic, but John was brusque, simply asking, what do you want? Of course. You know what? Good for John. I probably would have said the same thing. In this scenario, I am going to be on John's side 100%. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Now you want to be my dad? Did you you stop hanging out with the pirates and decide to come be a dad? Oh, and you brought a journalist? Oh, great. This doesn't seem sus at all. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. And he ended the meeting within a few minutes. Good. Then Alf rolled up to Kenwood, John and Cynthia's home in Weybridge, only three weeks later to try again, this time without the press. And John wasn't home, so Cynthia entertained him for hours while he waited. Even gave him a free haircut. You know what? Like, Cynthia just seems like that nice lady who says... Because she is. All right. You know, you're here. I guess I'll give you a haircut. You might yeah. as well look nice when you meet your Looking meet a bit son. shabby yeah. to meet your son. You look like you, you maybe you go behind alleys and look for cats. <laughs> Let's clean you up a bit. You almost look like a furry alien. Who likes cats? (laughs) He never got to see John that time, but he got a nice haircut anyway. Well, that's nice. (laughs) John made an effort to connect with Alf after that, but all hopes of a father-son relationship were dashed when Alf put out a deeply embarrassing, to John, album called That's My Life, My Love, and My Home. Wait, what? He put out an album. What? Yeah. Was he a musician? He was. And he wasn't, like, a great musician. (laughs) Clearly. I've never heard of Alf Lennon. (laughs) He was, like, the kind of guy who, like, would pick up a shitty old banjo on the the ship and entertain his mates with, like, simple drinking songs. Wow. Yeah. He was the bard of the pirate ship. Yeah. (laughs) All right. It was clear to John that Alf was trying to ride his coattails, so he stopped talking to him. That's... You know what? That's really sad. It's deeply embarrassing. Like, I feel embarrassed for Alf because I'm sure it was not a very good album and everyone said it was not good. <laughs> so, yeah, I can see where he'd be like, oh, so he has this album that he's releasing just after all the presses like John's reuniting with his dad. 
Mm. So yeah, I'm. I would under. I understand how John would think that he's kind of just trying to make money off of his son. Yeah, he's one hundred percent. Ugh, like. I don't know. I feel bad for John. I'm. I feel like, worse for Alf. Why? But also, like, I wouldn't. Stop. Feel, I don't. I don't feel bad for Alf in any form of this. Like yeah. he is doing this to himself a hundo percent. Everything he did leading up to this and afterwards, he did to himself. Like this homeboy has led the worst life, and every decision yeah. was his own. Yeah. Also, like you left Julia, who was a sweet babe. So, like choices. You could have done everything differently. You could have done it right. Yeah. And you didn't. And he didn't. The last time John saw his father was on John's 30th birthday in 1970. He invited Alf, his much younger wife, Pauline, who was 18 when she married Alf, who no. was 56. Nope. That's a no for me, dog. Big ol' nope. No. And they had two kids. So. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And their 18-month-old son was with them brought to his house for lunch only to launch into a screaming tirade against his father for abandoning him as a child good john had been going through primal therapy with a heavy emphasis on the childhood traumas caused by his parents abandonment (laughs) and let it all out all right it seems like alf was shook and never spoke to his son again he like sent out an official statement through his lawyer about it oh i'm sorry alf's lawyer yeah alf Mm. has a lawyer now I guess he's really moved on up in his life. Yeah. And (laughs) Cynthia and John even employed Pauline for a short time after they got married. And she was just supposed to do like secretarial stuff and open his fan mail. And she couldn't handle it. She even lived with them and she couldn't handle it. And they were like, you got to go. You're just bad. You're just not good. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Shortly after this was the infamous night at the dentist's. Which is oh, yep. Long Lost Queen album. <laughs> <laughs> That's where everybody in Queen just took LSD and they're like, let's redo. Let's Not try at the opera, but we'll do it on LSD. We'll just pull each other's teeth. <laughs> oh, my God. And Freddie's like, don't fucking touch my teeth. Don't touch my teeth. I need these. I can't even do a Freddie <laughs> accent anymore. My British accents are so it's fucking It's all confounded. Liverpool now. It's all Liverpool. Is it? I don't even yeah. know what my accent is the, anymore. Literally, the only way I can do an English accent now is if I go down and then I go up. <laughs> That's the only way I can do it. Basically, we're Ringo now. Every day. I'm okay with this. <laughs> uh, while the rest of the Beatles and their hangers-on decided psychedelic drugs weren't their bag, the same can't be said for John. And I was wrong about this when I said it in my George episode. Mm-hmm. The other guys were pretty much like, yeah, LSD is cool, but we're like done with it. John was like, no, I fucking love this. Yeah. The other guys were pretty much like, I'm really cool with pot. Yeah. Pot's cool. I don't really need anything else. I think they would save LSD for like a nice special occasion. Right. When they were like <laughs> all going out on the town or something. Hey, you know what, guys? It really strokes me as a bit of a LSD kind of night. <laughs> Ladies. Ladies. John continued to use LSD daily, insisting it helped with his creativity and songwriting. It doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, maybe, but don't rely on that. Maybe if you did it a couple of times. Yeah. Like a weekend thing. It, like, does tend to, for some people, it does tend to open their mind a little bit. No, it does. I'm not trying to say, like, it doesn't. Yeah. But I also think that when you say it... I hate when you say, like, it helps my creativity because then it's like, 
Well, it sounds like you have a crush, crutch and you're, you're having some, some writer's yeah. block and maybe there's something else you should work on? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. We're talking about John Lennon. Of course it's a crutch. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. No one in his life wanted to trip as much as John, so he was soon bringing home people that would. And those people were sketchy as fuck. No way. Cynthia was uncomfortable and worried about Julian. But even worse, John was a completely different person while under the influence. He would spend hours in a trance-like state, unable to be reached or shaken into consciousness. Well, that's kind of terrifying. Yeah, just a little bit. The massive quantities of LSD were changing John's personality. It started out with only changing when he was taking drugs, but Mm -hmm. eventually the personality changes stuck. He went from being a pretty calm and collected dude to someone that lashed out violently at any given moment. He would lose his temper at the drop of a hat, often screamed at Julian for minuscule infractions like making a mess while eating. Because he's a toddler. Because he's a toddler, and that's what they do. You don't want a mess. Don't have a toddler. They are the most uncoordinated things on this planet. (laughs) You know what, though? Probably still more coordination than your other, like, crazy LSD-addicted friends. Probably. Mm. (laughs) It was affecting his marriage to a debilitating degree also. John thought that his life was going in a new direction with these drugs, and that place didn't include his family. Yeah, it didn't. (laughs) It didn't. Because Cynthia was like, no, I don't like this. She did do it a couple times, I believe. She right? did. And every she did it like a total of like four times. Mm-hmm. And every time she was like, I hate it. Like she had bad trips. Yeah. She it, she was just the kind of person that had bad trips every time she did it. Also, I'm sure John was not like the best person to trip with. Probably not. If you are a person who is not necessarily comfortable with it, John doesn't strike me as the type of person who's going to make you feel comfortable while tripping. Right. Arguably, he shouldn't have tripped once and let her trip instead, and he could have talked her through it. Yeah. Because if he's tripping and she's tripping, there's like zero control. Or at least like if he's babysitting her, he can kind of, you know, walk her through it and make her feel comfortable. But But it's almost like John's really selfish. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) What? He's like, but I want to have a trip, too. Yeah. And also, this was the mid-60s. So, like, not everybody realized what you kind of had to do with LSD. Like, nowadays, everyone has been around psychedelic drugs long enough to be like, okay, now I'm going to have you do it. I'm going to guide you through it. You have me to hold your hand. If something's weird, I will help you. We're just going to sit in the woods for like five hours and you're going to love it. Yeah. (laughs) But like, yeah, they didn't do that back then. (laughs) Sounds weird. Sounds very unlike John. Yeah. Hmm. From Cynthia's point of view, John didn't want anything to do with them anymore. And this was the beginning of the end of their marriage. But 1966 was an interesting time for John. The year started out with a huge write-up about the Beatles in the Evening Standard paper. John was quoted as saying the Beatles were bigger than Jesus and that rock and roll was going to outlast Christianity. No one in the UK really thought twice about his remarks when they were released. But then a US publication called Datebook bought the interviews and reprinted them in July. Mm. They actually chose a different quote from John from the same interview for the front page knowing it would rile people up Americans never once to let a barely insulting mark about Christianity go without immediately reaching for torches and pitchforks (laughs) did exactly that once a radio station in Alabama got a hold of the magazine they started destroying Beatles records on air and staging record burnings 
for the record. Ha, record. Ha. Um, the quote, they had like a bunch of quotes. Yeah. On the um, magazine cover. And the top one was from Paul. It was a quote that was taken extremely out of context mm-hmm. and also used the N-word. But oh. that one didn't get anybody in the American South all clutching their pearls. No it was the way. one saying that the Beatles were bigger than Jesus. Fucking really? Yeah. That's fucking really. Yeah, that one that would nowadays that is exactly still how the reaction would be in the South. In the South, yes. It would Up be here? like Alabama would hun- would one hundred percent still have that reaction. Oh today. yeah, definitely. They would not care if somebody dropped an N word, but man, you insult Jesus! How dare you? And he wasn't even insulting Jesus. Nope, he insulted he, Jesus. He was just commenting about how, like, Beatlemania was so fucking ridiculous that it felt like they were bigger than Jesus. Well, and he was making a commentary that is not factually inaccurate because, honestly, Christianity is dying out. But things like rock and roll you know are enduring yeah and we are worshiping celebrities and even governmental figures bigger than we would treat jesus now right we are and i don't think that's healthy either i think in general we always find that we need something to idolize and now we are reaching this point and john saw this back then Mm -hmm. that we are starting to turn our idols into celebrities and musicians and actors and also martyrs for us martyrs instead of like just being like yo there's a people and like replacing jesus with those Mm -hmm. so he actually for what it's worth he wasn't wrong he wasn't wrong and he was really ahead of his time with that thought i agree i mean he if nothing else john was a very intelligent man and could read the room he was extremely intelligent and like a lot of people who are on his level of intelligence he's also kind of psychotic (laughs) Or yeah. kind of sociopathic. And I don't think he... doesn't he... entirely use it for good. No. He <laughs> knows he's extremely smart. And because of that, he knows how to manipulate people. That and I think that ha- he had this level of hubris where mm. he thought he could say that. And they yeah. didn't understand America. And also, <laughs> I'm sure he was not thinking that his words would be reprinted in because America. Because you're right. In the he, UK, they didn't care. They don't give a shit because... Some things in the UK they are far ahead of us on. Yeah. And that's, and religion is one of those things. Mm -hmm. So he knew it wouldn't really, nobody would bat an eye at it in the UK, but he was not counting on it to be reprinted in the US. And Mm. and that's when the shit happened. (laughs) Shit has hitteth the fan. Indeed. Even after John gave a half-assed apology and the media deemed the issue over and done with, Protests continued during their U.S. tour. Eventually, the Fuhrer died down. However, unbeknownst to John or anyone around him, this would play a huge part in his eventual death. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. But I'm going to leave leave that little cliffhanger right there. Yeah, we're just going to... There's a little tab on yeah. that page. Dog ear that. You guys can come back to that in mm. a little bit. It was also this year that the name Yoko Ono started floating around in John's atmosphere. Yoko Ono. Yoko Ono. Yoko Ono. Yoko Ono. Yoko. Yo, can we make a fucking It's like a perfume ad. Yoko. Yoko Ono. He had heard of her avant-garde artwork and pegged her as a weird art lady that was off her rocker. 
mean, not wrong. Not wrong. He he was very astute. I mean this in the nicest way. Not wrong. Not wrong. Yeah. (laughs) But then he went to one of her exhibitions in London. He went the day before the opening at the behest of his friend John Dunbar, the gallery's owner. Yoko had a piece called Hammer a Nail, where patrons would hammer a nail into a piece of wood and then it would become a communal art piece. That's fun. Mm. Actually, that sounds very cathartic. He wanted to be the first to hammer a nail into the wood, but Yoko refused to allow it. (gasps) After finding out who John was, because she didn't know who the Beatles were, apparently, allegedly. Good for her. She said if he paid her five shillings, she'd let him hammer a nail. To that, he said, I'll give you an imaginary five shillings and hammer an, imag- hammer an imaginary nail in. Meet cute. Uh, <laughs> except it was the most obnoxious meet oh. cute you have ever, ever seen. Art student meet cute. <laughs> I would rather hammer a nail into my own eyeball. <laughs> And then they would use that as their art. <laughs> That'd be a fun art piece. Yeah. John has said that that was the moment that the two of them got each other. Meet cute. Meet cute. <laughs> or like meet barf. Barf cute. <laughs> Later, Yoko found out John took a bite out of her apple exhibit, which infuriated her. That is really fucked up. I would do But it's that? kind of funny, though, in a way, because like... Her apple exhibit was just an actual apple sitting on a pedestal, and it just said apple. That is kind of funny, actually, that he did it. <laughs> and he just, like, walked by, like, half walked by it and stopped, went back, looked at it, took a bite out of it, put it back, and walked away. This is the most art student cute. <laughs> and it, uh, you're right. I hate it. I, I hate, hate all it. of this. I, I hate, hate all of this. I hate this story. I hate it. <laughs> this is the worst part. I never want to come back to it ever again. <laughs> I fucking hate this once I'm done with this. I'm leaving the Beatles and we're divorcing. All right. I'm done. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Ashley is divorcing the Beatles. <sighs> Nevertheless, Yoko started calling John. She sent him letters and regularly showed up at Kenwood looking for him. But whenever Cynthia questioned why she was around, John insisted she was just a crazy starving artist looking for money. I mean, no offense, but that's a believable excuse. It is, but <laughs> he was definitely trying to fool himself and Cynthia, but oh, yeah. not doing a very good job. No. Everyone's like, you know, we all see right through you, right? You fucking yeah, but lying. like, this was also kind of the beginning of the end of his marriage, and oh, I think yeah. he didn't want to be in it anymore, so he was kind of trying to get caught all and right. have Cynthia be like, fuck you, I'm done with this, but she didn't do that. For both of their ends, I can say sympathetically, when you are getting to the end of a marriage and you know it's the end. You don't want to admit it. Yeah, but you don't care anymore. And you do everything you can to try to act like nothing's wrong until like one day you're like, oh, God, everything's wrong. And this was not right. Yeah. So I understand where they're both coming from here. Yeah. And I actually feel kind of bad for both of them because it's a shitty situation to be stuck in. It is. The Beatles and their partners went to Maharishi Mahesh Yogi's ashram in 1968, and it was a mess 
from the start, as we have discussed. Time and time again. Cynthia knew their marriage was failing, and throughout the entire trip, John ignored Cynthia. She was hoping this would be a fresh start for them, but John's ice-cold demeanor and aloofness was the nail in the coffin. And I believe throughout this trip, he actually really missed Yoko. Yeah. Um. Turns out that the entire time they were in India, Yoko was sending letters to John. Mm-hmm. He was like waking up early and going out for a walk, but he was going to the post office to yeah. get letters from Yoko and send some to her. Oof. Oof. But that is when he wrote the song, I'm So Tired, and it was really just about being tired of like how much he missed Yoko, how much he hated his marriage, how much like I used to listen to I'm So Tired all the time. <laughs> I still it's do like, sometimes. I'm so I'm tired. So <laughs> tired. And I'm like, yeah, I'm really tired too, John. I, I get it. it. I, I get feel it. you. Like my thyroid is just like not working. My thyroid's broken and said, like, <laughs> I am tired. Damn. And nothing's working. Yeah. <laughs> Upon returning home, John didn't even try to hide it. He was in a relationship with Yoko. Yup. They had been talking the entire time they were in India, and now Yoko was coming to Kenwood. While Cynthia was on vacation in Greece, John invited Yoko to their house. They recorded music in the attic, which would later become their Two Virgins album, (laughs) and then had sex afterwards. Rad. Cynthia came home the next afternoon and found John and Yoko sitting in their sunroom, Yoko wearing her bathrobe, nope, staring at each other in kind of a trance. When John finally realized she was in the room, he just said, oh, hi. Oh, hello, Cynthia. Oh, nice hi, to see Cynthia. You. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> that is bullshit. I did not sleep with... I slept with her. I fucking slept I with her. I slept with her a lot. In our bed. Yeah. <laughs> All over this fucking house. Cynthia stayed with Jenny Boyd and Beatles hanger-on Magic Alex after fleeing Kenwood in tears. Mm. Then Magic Alex compounded a terrible event with even worse bullshit by attempting to seduce Cynthia, who rebuffed his advances. Who asked you, Magic Alex? First of all, is Magic his real name? That's what they called him. He has, um... Does he think he has, like, a magic dick? Well... <laughs> Is he a magic man? He was, like... He was kind of an engineer that would build these light boxes that John really liked to look at when he was tripping on LSD. Ugh. So the Beatles kind of brought him in as, like, kind of just, like, a fucking tinker box maker. Tinker, tailor, soldier, spy. I don't... Th- I wouldn't give him that. I would. <laughs> That movie's boring. <laughs> Was he a magic man? Um, not even that good. That's I think... really what Annie was singing about, wasn't it? Um, no. 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 She was singing about good dick. Yeah, she was singing about good dick. So I'm assuming this guy does I just, not have good dick. I just really hate this guy. Yeah, he's he's kind of awful. Yeah. And he was pretty much just around <laughs> to do all the bullshit, like, dumb tasks for John. He was a bullshit task rabbit. For John. Bullshit task rabbit. Yeah. And really, nobody fucking liked him. I don't even know why he was there. And then he's like, Cynthia, sleep with me. And she's like, what the fuck? No. Yeah, he was like, I've always been in love with you. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm going to bed. Fuck you. Do you think I can really handle this mentally right now? Go fuck yourself. Yeah. And then he like came into the bedroom while she was trying to sleep (gasps) and tried to fondle her. And she's like, get the fuck off me. Nope. Nope. No. No. Nope. No. Yep. Yeah. She went back to Kenwood a couple days later, determined to hash things out with John. 
And John and Cynthia agreed to try and work things out. But then Cynthia goes on a trip to Italy with her mother. When she got back, she was handed divorce papers drawn up by John. Mm. He was suing her for divorce on the grounds of adultery. Uh, What? With Roberto Bassanini, the son of the couple that owned the Italian hotel she was staying at. What? Yeah. The capital B balls on this motherfucker. Yeah. Wish a motherfucker would. The hilarious thing is, is that when she was in Italy, she pretty much just stayed at this hotel with Julian and her mother. Mm. Um, But the hotel was owned by people that were good friends of them, of the Beatles and of Cynthia. And... Roberto was their son Mm -hmm. and he agreed to escort her and another girl that she made friends with in the hotel out on the town. Nice. When they came back Magic Alex happened to be there. Why? What? Oh. Why? Who asked you? Who asked you to come along Magic Alex? Who asked you to bring your bullshit here to Italy? Um, And he was like John's gonna divorce you. I'm here to tell you, I'm here to do such a good deed and tell you that, that John's going to divorce you. So now can I climb in bed and fondle you? <laughs> Basically. Oh, fuck you. I hope he got hit by a bus. <laughs> I don't know and what left. happened to him, but hopefully. So yeah, to Cynthia, it was pretty clear that John had her followed while she was in Italy. And she claimed she never cheated on John and assumed John also got magic Alex to seduce her the day she found him and Yoko in their house. Because he wants to have this guilt-free divorce where he can be like, I've blatantly cheated on you yes. with Yoko. But you well, cheated, you on, cheated me first. on me first. Yeah. And she didn't. And yeah. he knew she didn't. So he tried to have Magic Alex fuck her. And then he could say, well, you fucked Magic Alex. Which <laughs> no one's going to fuck Nobody. someone named Magic no. Alex. Nobody believes that. Magic Alex is that guy, like, when you're hanging out with a huge group of friends, like, maybe a like college, post-college, and he's always trying to get some. Yeah. But he never does because his name is Magic Alex. Yeah. Yep. I fucking hate this. Yep. John's then, a piece of shit. And then Magic Alex was probably... In Italy the whole time following her and just happened to be there when she got back from her outing with Roberto and was like, he's going to divorce you, girl. So you should let me crawl in the bed and fondle <laughs> you. you God damn. Yeah. I hate everyone right now. Mm. I'm so mm. mad. But yeah, if Alex could get her to sleep with him, then John would have irrefutable proof that she cheated on him and therefore have grounds for divorce. But he didn't. She didn't sleep with him, though. But John sued her for it anyway, even though he was the one cheating on her. Flames on the, on side, the side of my face. face. Dear God, make me a bird so, so I can fly, fly far, 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 far away, away from, from here. here. I can't. That's I infuriating. I just want to slip this out here to everyone who's like, mm, John Lennon loves love, mm. love, love. Yeah. Mm, love and peace, really. everybody. Love, love and, and peace. peace. Also, blatantly cheated on his wife and then tried to say that she's the one who cheated and that's why they divorced yeah i fucking mm. hate a motherfucker by then well it's just getting worse from here no <laughs> i know by then the press was publishing photos of john and yoko walking hand in hand well before the ink could even dry on the divorce papers mm. they were rarely ever seen apart even during the p- divorce proceedings yoko would follow john to the bathroom uh, uh, not Ew. even kidding. Ew. Yeah. Ew. 
And the press was not nice to Yoko. They wrote incendiary pieces on her, which were often racist and sexist. And I don't give a shit what you think about Yoko. Right. Don't write that kind of shit. No, like there are things that Yoko did during this that I'm not super cool with. And there are things that she will do in the future that I'm not super cool Mm -hmm. with. But overall, I never want to get that mad at the woman in this situation or this woman, man, whatever, the the other person, Mm -hmm. because you don't know what they're telling them. Like, you don't know what John's saying to Yoko. You don't know if like John's telling her this is totally cool. Sin doesn't care. Yeah. But you know, these are also the cheapest shots you can fucking make. Exactly. If that you too. want to insult somebody or or make a good argument for why they are a terrible person, you need something a lot deeper than, well, she's Jap- she's a dirty Jap and she's a <gasps> shitty woman. She's yeah, a that's, seductress. That shit makes me vomit. That's like, disgusting. That's not even a good argument. No. You need something way better than that to make me not like somebody. Granted, she does things she does that make me not like her yes but her being japanese and her being a woman are two things that i am not angry at yeah those those are completely not a part of anything you can or should get mad at at her for not at all those are completely separate from anything that she does as an action of a person yeah so fuck you and john took these insults personally as I would too. Saying there is no John and Yoko, they are one person. Insulting her means insulting him. He even insisted that he be referred to as John and Yoko, all one word, because they are one entity. But also, this seems like an unhealthy relationship. A little bit? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little unhealthy. He was, he was a little bit preoccupied with, with Yoko. Yeah. A little bit. Like a little bit. Like this just, yeah completely unhealthy you are your own person john he also called her mother yep which um it's a little mike pence oof it's a little weird gross incestuous kind of thing but also that is why i really feel like he became so completely engulfed and obsessed with yoko was because she had such an incredibly strong and overbearing personality Mm mm-hmm which you can't tell in like public stuff or like oh, interviews no. or anything. But I think in private, she was so completely all encompassing with John and just told him what to do all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's what he wanted because that was his idea of a mother. Yeah. She oh. became the mother. And also, that's how Mimi was. Do you think. That she was kind of this perfect mixed of mixed mix of Mimi and Julia yes. because she also did have her soft. She had soft. She has softness. She's very artistic. Yes. She's very yes. delicate and lovely. But she is also probably can be a cold bitch like Mimi. She was. She had the same two sides to her personality that John did. So in a Except way, they were perfect for her each other. Coldness what mirrored john's like temper tantrums so he wasn't necessarily cold he would just had a really bad temper and she was super cold but at the same time they were both flamboyant artistic bohemian people like julia art students yes (laughs) yes wow i mean their relationship makes so much sense but there is so much to dissect yeah she had no problem being the alpha and he had no problem having somebody push him around right 
And she also, they both together embrace this, we are one. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you're going to find most, I'm going to say it and maybe people are not going to agree with this. And maybe this is something, you know, we could debate about or have a conversation about. That all sounds really unhealthy to me. Oh, it is extremely toxic. Because both of them seem like they were okay with letting go of whoever they were before they were together. And Mm -hmm. I don't think either Yoko or John... Like, you are still your own person at the end of the day. Like, But love- I don't think they really gave a shit about that. I know, but I don't they think should they, have. They should have, That's absolutely. what I'm trying to say is because they would let each other just engulf each other. Yeah. It was an unhealthy combination of well, then you can't live without each other, but you also can't live with each other, a as we really, will later discover. Really bad codependency right. was going on here. Really bad. Like, there should have been a whole lot more therapy going on here than there actually was. I feel like a lot of people idolize their relationship, but I actually think oh, that no. there's a fundamental unhealthiness to it because completely i think most other women who weren't even like i mean let's face it it was the 60s 70s you know most women weren't at this point of being like self-love and i'm gonna take care of myself and Mm -hmm. i don't need no man but most women wouldn't put up with john being like we are one and you are my mother you know what i mean like cynthia wasn't gonna do that yeah and that's why yoko was perfect for him because yoko was the person who was like yeah I'll do this. I'm on board. But also, I think Yoko was fine with doing that because she knew that she could still have a leg up on John. Yeah. She knew that she could be like, yes, we're one. We're one person, one being, one entity. But I am still the alpha here. I still tell you what to do. We are one because I tell you we're one. To a, until a point. Yeah. We'll get to that. While still finalizing his divorce, John and Yoko staged some erratic behavior that had everyone (laughs) scratching their heads. First, they released Two Virgins, the album they recorded in the Kenwood attic while Cynthia was in Greece, only three weeks after John's divorce was final. It was an avant-garde piece, much like George was doing in those days, but it was more known for the couple being naked on the cover. Yeah. They released two more albums together, Life with Lions and Wedding Album, between 1968 and 69, Mm -hmm. before forming the Plastic Ono Band. It was becoming clear that not only was Yoko replacing Cynthia as his life partner, Mm -hmm. but she was also replacing Paul McCartney as his creative partner. Right. That is not to say that Yoko broke up the Beatles. No. And we'll get to that in a little bit. In October 1968, John and Yoko were arrested for drug possession after a raid on the couple's London flat that they were borrowing from Ringo. Oh, no, Ringo! (laughs) Seriously, this flat has its own Wikipedia page. Oh, Ringo's flat! (laughs) Because so many, like, famous musicians during this time also rented the flat, and usually it was Ringo subletting the flat to them so he subletted the flat to Jimi hendrix and then he subletted it to uh, john and yoko Mm -hmm. and after john and yoko (laughs) after this raid happened the landlord was like um we need to renegotiate this lease (gasps) oh shit because you are not allowed to sublet this to anybody the only people that are allowed to be in here are you or anyone that is related to ringo that's it. Oh, shit. Ringo got in trouble. He did get in trouble. Be- Granted, Ringo was an absentee sub-landlord. So. Yeah, I bet. 
He didn't have a lot of five-star reviews on this Airbnb. Not at all. He his, did not fill it with word art, did he? He just deleted his <laughs> Yelp page because it was bad. <laughs> bad news. Yeah. Friends recalled the flat being in a state of squalor when John and Yoko lived there as they were in the throes of a deep drug addiction. They were living on a, quote, diet of champagne, caviar, and heroin, despite the fact that Yoko was pregan and ants. So. Zero days without heroin. Thank you. You're welcome. Also, that's like, we're, this is like some Courtney Love shit here. Yeah. And I don't see Vanity Fair all over Yoko's ass. Yeah. She definitely was doing heroin throughout a few pregnancies that she ended up miscarrying. I don't know if that's just because, you know, that just happens. Right, right. It can Or happen. because of drugs or yeah. lifestyle or what. But before, she miscarried three times before they had Sean. Wow. That yeah. sucks. Cynthia recalled seeing John during this time and being alarmed at his appearance. He was gaunt, exhausted looking, and nothing like the man she'd been married to. Mm. This was also when the Beatles were recording the White Album, which was fraught with arguments so fierce that they went from the silent treatment to fistfights. Oh. So yeah, back to the raid. Seven police officers and two police dogs raided the apartment and found about eight ounces of hashish in a binocular case. Again, I still don't know. Is that a lot? Is that a little? That's a bit. That's quite a bit. That's a bit. Yeah. All right. I I think now in New York State, you are allowed to possess up to one and a half ounces. Maybe two? Oh, maybe two ounces of marijuana. Either way, eight must be a lot. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to say it's a bit. Math. I don't know. It's really just I have never seen any of these drugs in my life. No, I've seen pot. No. no. (laughs) Both were charged with possession, and John was also charged with obstruction of justice. He had panicked when an officer banged on the back window during the raid and for a minute refused to open the window. That charge was dropped when he pleaded guilty to drug possession, which also let Yoko off the hook. Shortly after the incident, she miscarried. Mm. That does suck. I it does. For them. That is not an easy thing to go through at all. No. In February 1969, Yoko's own divorce from Anthony Cox went through. Yes, she was married when she met John. Yep. And had a daughter named Kyoko Cox. Yep. And John was actually her third husband. Yep. Within a month, John and Yoko flew to Gibraltar and got married, then went to Amsterdam and staged their famous Bed In for Peace. Sure. You remember that? No, I do. I just, I always roll my eyes at that. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because celebrities can lay in bed for a weekend for peace and who get, like. This, this, this was a protest against the Vietnam War. Sure. I'm sure you really made a lot of hearts in the government move through this. Yeah, like these rich pieces of shit are like. What can I do to protest the Vietnam War? What can I do to change hearts and minds and policies and get the troops back home? I know. I'm going to lay in bed. It's the dumbest. Are you fucking kidding me? Most, like, completely. The most privileged thing you can possibly fucking do. And just ignorant. Yeah. You know? But in 1969, everyone was like, yeah. Yeah, power Even nowadays, to the people. some people look at that and I'm like, no. 
No. Yeah, a lot of people that's, now are just like, that's how you stage a protest. No, it's not no. how you stage a protest. That's you want to stage a fucking protest? Go out in the streets with people who are suffering. And, like, and even if they were like, we're just we- raising awareness, what are you awareness of what the vietnam war everyone knows the vietnam war is fucking going on what are you doing to help just raising awareness to your crazy ass yes (laughs) you're just getting promotion because you have music coming out yeah that's all you're doing yeah (sighs) anyway the stunt was filmed and they gave interviews promoting peace and protesting the vietnam war they held another in may 1969 They initially wanted to stage it in New York, but at the time, John was not allowed in the U.S. because of the drug conviction. Yep. Instead, they went to the Bahamas. But after one night in the Bahamian heat, they upended everything and moved to a hotel in Montreal. Did these bed-ins do anything? That's debatable. No, it's not. They didn't. (laughs) They They didn't didn't do do anything. Like, I will tell you the answer right now. No. Nothing. (laughs) No. Yeah. No. (laughs) Throughout the last couple of years of the 60s, John and Yoko spent a lot of time promoting the idea of peace. While doing their bed-ins, they recorded the song Give Peace a Chance, which became a pretty big hit and was adopted as an anti-war anthem. When the bed-ins were complete, the newlyweds bought Tittenhurst Park. Tittenhurst. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Literally kept writing Tittenhurts. But Tittenhurst. Tittenhurst. But Tittenhurst Park is a 17... 17- 72 acre estate in ascot if you can imagine the imagine video they filmed that at tinhurst Ugh, i hate how much you just said imagine <laughs> and also uh ringo bought it eventually he did they only lived there until like 71 yeah they did not live there very long and not then ringo's like well guess i'll buy it if you're selling it yeah and then Ringo sold it to like the prince of the united arab emirates yep. or something who like <laughs> bought all the rhinestones and decorated the entire thing. Ringo was jealous with how many rhinestones oh were up there. Oh my god. <laughs> it was so gaudy. It's like they put a white Mercedes in every single room in the house. Jesus. John brought Julian to visit once in a while, though it was a struggle trying to connect with his father. Julian was mostly ignored, and then John did when John did pay attention to him, his moods were completely unpredictable. Yeah, no shit. He often lashed out at Julian with such rage that the boy went sobbing to his room. And Yoko wasn't a great source for love either. She often complained to John and Cynthia that he had bad behavior, which he didn't. She just wanted to complain about him. It's like she reminds me of someone who was in John's life at a young age who just was incapable of Love and affection. It was just like, no matter what good you did, she just had something to complain about. Huh. I wonder I who know. that is. is it, was it Ma- mm-hmm. Ma- Martha? I no. Was, mm, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It'll come to us eventually. <laughs> in July 1969, the family took an ill-fated trip to visit John's family in Scotland. On the way back, John, a notoriously bad driver, drove... <laughs> Drove there. He didn't even get his license until 1965 and then like barely drove after that, but thought it would be a great idea to drive his family to fucking Scotland. Okay. He drove their Aston Martin into a ditch, injuring nearly everyone on board. Julian Julian was sent to John's Aunt Mater's house 
while he and Yoko recovered in the hospital, but they neglected to tell Cynthia where her own child was. I mean, am I actually surprised? No, I'm not actually surprised. They didn't call her to tell her what happened. She found out about it from the news on the TV and then just took a flight to Scotland and was like, where's my fucking kid? And when she got to the hospital, they were like, oh, he's up with Aunt Mater. And she's like, you could have fucking called me. But no, they didn't. It's almost like John is a rad dad. He might be a rad dad. You John. Know, you might be a rad dad if. <laughs> yeah, right. This is going to turn into Jeff Foxworthy real oh, quick. Oh, boy. Oof. The car accident halted John's return to London, which also delayed his return to the studio to record Abbey Road. But once he was back in the studio, he insisted Yoko was with him. Mm-hmm. Yoko was pregnant at the time, which she later miscarried. Mm. So John set her up in a bed in another room with a microphone attached so she could convey her opinions on whatever they were recording at the time. Nope. <laughs> no. Just no. No. Like, like in any scenario of your life, this isn't okay. Who's Who said it was okay? Yeah. Why didn't anybody be like, um, I'm not comfortable with this? I feel like they were all just looking at him like, Dude, no. But granted, like, if he was as, like, unpredictably violent, I guess, as everybody said that he was at the time, maybe they were scared to be like, John. I wonder if it was scared. I think it was more of a, you got to pick and choose your battles with John. And also, I don't want to fucking fight. I don't want they this were all to tired. turn into a thing. They were all so tired. They're so yeah. tired. Yeah. So this sounds horribly invasive and adds to the Yoko broke up the Beatles myth. But that's exactly what it is. A myth. Yeah. Yes. The Beatles did have a no wives or girlfriends in the studio rule. Yeah. And they were pretty sick of her being there. Yeah. However, no one seemed too upset. Or too bothered with Yoko's presence to put up much of a fight about it. Or like we just said, pick your battles. And I imagine I put this more on John than I would put it on Yoko. Because John can say no. Yeah. And John knows the rule. And also, like, how much do you think Yoko said, I want to be there as much as John probably said, I want you to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm putting a lot of this on John. I'm not really going to put it on Yoko. No, and I'm not going to put it on the other Beatles either. I'm putting this on John. Yeah. It's like John has some problems that he needs to work through, and he's not working through them properly. He's working through them in a codependent manner. Yes. His problems are being transferred onto Yoko. Okay. Have you seen pretty much all of the Golden Girls? No, I haven't. There was I've an episode. Like handful. There was an episode of Golden Girls when Stanley, Dorothy's ex-husband, was mm-hmm. going through therapy, and he was transferring all of his emotions and his problems onto a traffic cone that was dressed like a monkey. <laughs> so at this point, John is Stanley, and, and Yoko, Yoko is, is a the- traffic cone. <laughs> oh, now I just feel bad for Yoko. In a way, I kind of do, too. But at the same time, it seemed like she kind of was here for it. She encouraged John to be dependent on her. I have 
very mixed feelings about Yoko. I don't oh, dislike she's her. She's a very complicated lady, and I have lots of emotions. Yeah. See this? I'm doing it too. <laughs> We're just. Are we just? Do we need a? Do we need? A, do we need a cone? We need an intervention or something. Yeah, Beatlesvention. Jesus Christ! After all this, seriously. Okay, but anyway, let's not go that crazy. But yeah, it's just like that episode of Golden Girls. <laughs> I think that by the end of the Beatles, no one wanted her around anymore. Right. But overall, the biggest issue was John's erratic behavior and drug use. Yeah. At this point, the LSD use and heroin abuse had fundamentally changed John as a person. So was he injecting? I, as far as I know, yes. Oh, my God. Oh, but oh, I don't... Oh, oh. They weren't, like, full-blown heroin addicts like you picture. Which is weird. Which weirds me out. Like, because at that time, if somebody was in a heroin, like, think about it, like, Hendrix or Janis Joplin. They were, like, declining quickly. And they were addicted. Right. So... From everything I can understand, they were not that addicted and they were not that bad. Okay. Like, they did heroin probably once in a while. Heroin was their, like, this is the Friday of the month where we're going to do heroin. <laughs> I think they did it more often than that. I They probably did it, like, once a week. But they Saturday, let's do heroin. Yeah. <laughs> but they weren't, like, they weren't spending all of their time consumed by where are they going to get heroin when's the next time they're going to get it when can they do it again like that like so weird other drugs were more important right like Like, lsd like lsd and coke and Mm -hmm. weed and stuff like that interesting yeah but at the same time like it still visibly affected them of course you can't like just do heroin once a week and be like i'm fine yeah right (laughs) yeah He was jovial one minute and a tyrant the next, and he treated his family much the same. Abbey Road was the last Beatles album to be recorded, as John had quit the band in early September 1969. Yeah, he did. Before Paul's announcement. Yeah, it was. The Beatles manager, Alan Klein, persuaded John to keep his departure quiet. But in April 1970, Paul publicly announced he was out of the band. John was pissed. I'm sorry. Really? Yeah. Really, John? He was literally pissed. He wasn't mad that Paul left, but that Paul got all the credit for breaking up the Beatles. I know. And John thought he used his announcement to sell his solo records. No, Paul used his announcement to say, I'm really fucking sick of this shit. To say, Alan Klein's this a is fucking bullshit. asshole and I'm going to leave the fucking band. You know, we've been broken up for like seven months at this point. <laughs> yeah. But here we are. I'm breaking up. I'm leaving. Yeah. I'm over this shit. But John was mad. He got the credit for breaking up the Beatles. Well, that's not fair. He's and then everybody was like, but Yoko, but Yoko broke up the Beatles. So John could never have the credit for it. And uh, it's you know what honestly the fact that he wished he had the credit makes me more angry at everything. Yeah, but it also tells you a lot about John's personality. Oh, yeah. Mm. And meanwhile, it also proves to us George and Ringo are the best. Yeah, one hundred percent. George and Ringo like, are the best. Fucking whatever. I'm gonna go this, do something. This fucking guy. And then George is like, "Well, stupid wife, Ringo." And Ringo's like, "What?" And he's like, "Nothing." And then Ringo's like. Okay. <laughs> no. Still be friends, though? <laughs> With the fucking Beatles! Oh, my God! Yeah. 
John would be would continue to be better about this whole thing for years. Yep. Writing many songs, including How Do You Sleep, which clearly targets Paul. Yep. As we discussed in the Paul episode, he took a lot of cheap shots at Paul that actually have no grounds of anything. Yeah. But George took some shots at John. Right. Also, which is fucking hilarious. Listen to Awaiting on You All. The first two lines are top-notch dry humor. <laughs> Thanks, George. <laughs> the bitterness spilled over into press that John did in the early years after the Beatles disbanded. According to Cynthia, John seemed, quote, increasingly self-obsessed, and he spared little thought for the feelings of those who had once been close to him. He seemed so intense and took himself deadly seriously, too, which wasn't the John I had known. Mm. You can see this in many interviews the couple did in the early in the early 70s, and John rarely did an interview without Yoko. She would not let him go to the bathroom alone. Exactly. I highly doubt which is he in- can interview alone. Which is interesting because I rarely ever heard her speak. I don't think I really even know what Yoko's voice sounds like, aside from that, like, weird oh no (laughs) that weird video like he and yoko um substituted for some talk show host for like a week oh and they had chuck berry come on the show and they performed with him and they were doing um uh an older blues song i think it was called memphis tennessee or something like that and like john and Chuck Berry are having a good old time singing this song. The backing band's really into it. And then all of a sudden you hear Yoko grab the microphone and go, <laughs> in the background. No! Like, what the fuck are you doing? She pulled a toddler. That's what she, she did. She absolutely did. And sh- you see Chuck Berry just like in his head go, what the fuck? <laughs> Go look it up. It is absolutely hilarious. I've I have seen her interviewed before. She has actually a very soft, uh, feminine voice, and she does still have like a tinge of a uh, Japanese accent. Yeah. So, yeah. And she's she's like, very soft spoken. She is, but but her screeching and music. Holy is shit! Terrifying. That dolphin whale she got is like, you go, damn girl. She found it. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but she found it. She did find it. Meanwhile, despite being divorced from Anthony Cox, Yoko was still locked in a custody battle over their daughter, Kyoko. Right. Yoko had basically done the same thing to Kyoko that John did to Julian, effectively abandoned her to focus on John and their art. Mm. But she randomly changed her mind. On April 23rd, 1971, John and Yoko attempted to abduct Kyoko and do something with her i don't know what the end game was here like own her i don't like have her as a child you don't have custody you are two of the biggest names in the world you were constantly followed and watched what did you think you were gonna do with her (laughs) but i don't understand what the end game was they were probably really high when they came up with the idea because it sounds the way this all worked out sounds like the plan of two people that were just high out of their minds and had no idea what they were doing well shit so yeah even in my notes i said i have a feeling this plan was hashed out during a drug binge and never fully thought through speaking of hashed out (laughs) waka waka they arrived in Mallorca, a Spanish Mediterranean island where Anthony, his new wife, and Kyoko were living, and they hid in a hotel for three days. 
While Anthony and his wife were busy meditating, ironically, with the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, this the same guy, guy, this fucking motherfucker, this motherfucker right here. This motherfucker right here. Ugh. John and Yoko took Yoko from her kindergarten and attempted to flee the country with her. <laughs> they were stopped by police. However, the charges were eventually dismissed. Yoko wouldn't see her daughter again until 1998. Holy shit. Almost 30 years? Yeah. Because Anthony Cox was like, bitch, no. This is my daughter. You gave me custody. And you just tried to kidnap her. The same way that Alf tried to do with John when he was a young kid and then forced him to choose between him and Julia. Like... The amount of history repeating itself in this story is blowing my mind. Podcast medium is not appropriate right now for my interaction because I have no words. Yeah. I have no words. I do not have a single fucking word. You look like Chuck Berry. (laughs) (laughs) The fuck is that? Very much. It's it's Steve Harvey faces coming back. Holy shit. It's that's com- like the only way I can react to that. It's all coming back to me now. A series of Steve Harvey faces. <laughs> yeah. During this time, John was also writing and recording his second solo album, Imagine. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say it like that every time. Imagine. Imagine. <laughs> Imagine. Mm-hmm. Mm. Another Phil Spector production. The album spawned the song of the same name that John Lennon is arguably best known for. Right. Just before the album's release, John and Yoko moved to New York City. They were disillusioned with Britain and the relentless press attacks on Yoko, which I get. You know what? Totally British tabloids were fucking mean to her and so racist. It's like the British tabloids are the worst. They're fucking garbage. Yeah. I don't blame them for that. That is... Yeah. Get the fuck out of there. John did not inform Cynthia or his own child that he was uprooting and moving to a different country. Imagine all the rad dads (laughs) abandoning (laughs) their kids. Woo-hoo-hoo. But yeah, guys, this this is your idol for love and peace. Yeah. He wouldn't see Julian for another three or four years. You know what? Better than Yoko and Kyoko, though. I guess, but... <laughs> something. Still not great. Uh, Look, yeah. I'm just... I'm reaching at this point. Yeah, we're grasping at straws all over the place. Oh, yeah. John battled with authorities to stay in New York. Because of his previous drug conviction, he wasn't allowed to get a green card. The Nixon administration was also starting an FBI file on John for his radical left politics and oh, anti-war yeah. sentiments yeah because that warranted an fbi file i John guess <laughs> John just, if you're gonna do a nixon impression you just shake your face a lot so your jowls just flap around <laughs> futurama started that and now i can't get it out of my head but i think it's the most accurate nixon. it really is oh god fucking nixon I hate everyone right now. Like, everybody in this story can eat a dick. Yeah, everybody. Except for Cynthia and Julian. They're fine. And then, like, Kyoko and her father. Kyoko's fine. We'll meet a couple other people that are fine. But, but overall, or maybe one person that's fine. But everybody else can just me fuck off. Just want to set fires. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the American government spent four years trying to deport John, finally ending attempts in 1976 and giving him a green card. 
Good. Fucking finally. Just fucking just, let him stay. Who gives a fuck about a drug? He's fucking British. Who cares? <laughs> really? We have people storming the fucking Capitol in 2021. Like, we have and you're quote worried- unquote Americans. And you're worried because John Lennon had hashish in a binocular case. Suck my dick. Yeah. Then came the time in John's life that he called the lost weekend. Oh, yes. I know all about this. We have touched upon this in Ringo and Paul. Yes. By 19... We have only tickled the tip of the balls on this, but let's go to a full (laughs) grab right here. By 1973, things between John and Yoko were deteriorating. They were arguing and growing apart. If that had something to do with, like, drugs and stuff, I don't know. It probably did. It could, because maybe she was hitting a point where she didn't want to do drugs anymore. John is still deep into it. She's like, I'd like to get pregnant and not miscarry, and maybe stopping the drug thing will help. Yeah. Could be. Could be. Yoko had the smarts to know that John was going to hook up with someone else while they were apart. Mm. So she took control of that situation and handpicked the woman John would be sleeping with. Huh. She chose May Pang, John and Yoko's personal assistant that had been working for them for a couple of years at that point. Yoko knew John found her attractive and figured they would be good companions. May objected at first, but Yoko went ahead and made the arrangements anyway. May Pang would end up being one of the best people John ever got involved with. I believe it. In October 1973, John and May went to Los Angeles to promote John's (laughs) album Mind Games and decided to stay. While out there, John met up again with Phil Spector to produce his next album, Rock and Roll, a collection of rock classics that inspired John as a kid. These recording sessions would go down in infamy as John's increasing alcohol consumption and Phil Spector's Phil Spector-ness reached epic heights. (laughs) The sessions broke down once Phil claimed he was in a car accident and disappeared with the master tapes. Wait, but was this when Phil Spector was in that terrible accident? Yeah, he was in a car accident. Yeah, he was in that awful accident that like completely fucked with him for the rest of his life. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, he was already fucking with his life. Oh, he, no. I mean, like, John, or John, Jesus. Phil Spector was already a hot fucking rocker. mess. Yes. But that accident... Really fucked him up. Oof-a-doof. Yeah, he just disappeared after that. Mm -hmm. John's behavior also became increasingly erratic as a result of a deepening alcohol problem, which led to much coverage by the tabloids. Yup. And here comes our friend Harry Nilsson. Here he comes. (laughs) His name is Harry Nilsson. (laughs) He's a fucking weirdo. And he's got really bad apartment apparently (laughs) i don't know (laughs) while producing the album pussycats for harry (laughs) nelson pussycats apparently was like a play on everybody all the tabloids calling them bad boys we're just pussy cats oh eat my dick (laughs) he and harry became good friends and party bros tabloids dubbed them as bad boys and caught them behaving badly while heavily intoxicated bad boys bad boys what you gonna do what you gonna (laughs) do when the tabloids come for you pose they're gonna pose pose your life out they kept getting kicked out of the troubadour once because (laughs) john tussled with a waitress with a sanitary pad stuck on his head and another time because the two wouldn't stop heckling the smothers brothers (laughs) 
That's the best thing. I've just, these are the best stories I, that came out of this, hold honestly. On, no. Just picturing the smothers brothers. And they're probably like 30 at this point, I maybe. And they're just they're smothers brothers all over the place. And like What's, what song do the Smothers Brothers do? I don't know exactly, but they're like goofballs. For some reason I am just picturing them doing that. Oh uh listen to the music. But that's, that's not like them. The Doobie Brothers. Yeah, I that think. is not them at all. No. The Smothers Brothers aren't even as cool as the not Doobie at all. Brothers. Not at all. But that's for some reason that is the song I picture them singing while John is drunkenly heckling them. Do you ever like when I was a kid on PBS they would have this political pianist comedy guy play all the time. My mom loved him. I forgot his name. But like that's what the Smother Brothers are like. They're like just goofy <laughs> funny guys. Why would you heckle them? Because John and Harry are dicks. That's yeah. That's pretty much it. Pretty much. And then you throw Keith Moon in the mix. Oh my god. And then Ringo would okay. come like guys let's not make fun okay. of them. We're, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Hold on. Sorry. Despite John's bad behavior, he did do some good, and a lot of that was because of May Pang. Aww. She encouraged John to reconnect with his family and former bandmates. He reached out to Julian and reestablished their relationship, and Julian often visited John and May in L.A. and New York, recalling that some of the best memories he has of his dad was when he was with May. During this time, he saw that Julian was a budding musician himself, so he gave him a guitar and taught him chord progressions. Like, May is a fucking saint. Love her. I We need more fucking praise for May. Seriously, I wish that she and John stayed together. Stayed together. Things would have been infinitely different. Yeah. Wow. It's like she was healthy for him. Oh, What? No, John can't have anybody in his life that's healthy for him. Clearly. He also mended things between him and George and Paul. Yep. This reconciliation resulted in the one and only recording session between John and Paul after the Beatles split. So May rented out a beach house for her, John, Harry Nilsson, Ringo, and Keith Moon to live in (laughs) while they recorded Pussycats. Yep. Just picture that in your head. For like They're a hot second. All alcoholics. It's just a bunch of alcoholics. And poor May Pang is just like, I tried to do my best. <laughs> oh, May Pang, you did do your best. It's just like, that's a party house. Holy shit, is that a party house? And you know she's picking up all the beer bottles. Oh, yeah. She's the one cleaning up after everybody. She's cleaning up all the barf. Ugh. So much bark and to making clean them up. all sandwiches in the morning. Be like, you need some bread. Mm-hmm. You need to soak up Getting all that them alcohol. Like twenty McGriddles. Drink some fucking water. <laughs> oh my God. There was no McGriddles back then, but I just want to imagine that like May Peg was like, "There's a bag of McGriddles on the fucking table." They're like, "What the fuck is McGriddles?" Don't you fucking touch that orange juice till you have some fucking water. Yep. Like you guys need to hydrate. Yep. Yeah. Harry, the- get that fucking whiskey out of your hand. <laughs> Did you drink she your glass of water? She just goes up and slaps the bottle out of his hand. You can have your whiskey when you drink your water. Pick it up off the floor. Hey, Pang, you're a fucking hero. I really believe she was. But the point of them all sharing one house together was so they could all get to the studio on time. <laughs> but they were partying so much, their recording <laughs> sessions broke down anyway. Yep. <laughs> the chaos 
followed them home, and at one point, John attempted to strangle May after he misunderstood something she said. He only relented after Harry Nilsson physically restrained him. Oh, no. Yeah, no. This is not good. It also makes me wonder how many times did he try to strangle Yoko and we don't know about it. Oh, yeah. And Cynthia. Cynthia? Cynthia. Cynthia. For Cynthia's part, she never indicated that he physically hurt her after that one time when they were in art college. That's true. I But I kind of want to be like, but like, did you really want to talk about it? Maybe. Maybe she just wanted to keep it quiet because but she I knew people see, would be angry about it. Right. But I could also see Yoko like having been physically assaulted and like just not talking about it. Yeah. Because she'd want to protect John. Exactly. Jesus. All right. This stopped being cute and fun. Yeah, this ain't cute no more. (laughs) It was obvious this was not a good living situation, so May and John went back to New York to finish the album. John stopped drinking, refused to take calls from Yoko, and they rented a penthouse apartment in Manhattan where they apparently saw UFOs from their balcony and even started... And then they even started looking for houses to buy together. Oh. They put in an offer on a house in February 1975 and made plans to visit Paul and Linda McCartney that same month. But the day before they were supposed to leave, Yoko and John met for the first time in a year and a half. It seemed Yoko planned a ruse, telling John she found a cure for his smoking addiction. Hmm. Which is just so weird. Right. Like, after not really talking to her for like a year, she's like, hey... I can figure out how to stop you smoking cigarettes. <laughs> sure. Why don't you come by? He never returned to the home that he shared with May. Oh. Which is so heartbreaking. Like, John, come on. John, you were uh, right there. You were right there. You were so close. So close. Just having like a healthy, functioning relationship with someone. Yeah. May saw him a few days later at a joint dental appointment that they apparently already had scheduled. Okay. And he, for some reason, showed up to it, actually. But he Yo, showed... teeth are important. They are. <laughs> but he showed up in a stupefied state, which led May to believe he was brainwashed. Mm, I've heard this. It's strange. I think he would... I think he was just on a lot of fucking He's drugs. He's playing on drugs. He's just He's on drugs. He's tripping. Probably. Like, Yeah. I wouldn't assume he was brainwashed. I'd be like, oh, you got high again. Cool. And I I wouldn't doubt that Yoko gave him the drugs. Oh. But I don't think she, like, tried to brainwash him or anything. No, 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 no. I don't think she had to. Yeah, I don't think so. I think as soon as John saw her, he was like, melts into a puddle and is like, do with me what you will. Mother. Mother, do with me what you will. Mother. <laughs> he just turns into Danzig. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Either way, John never went back to May. Mm. He was back with Yoko and proceeded to act like the last year and a half of his life was just a fantasy. Like, yeah, it happened, but it was a huge dumb mistake. Oh, and May who? Who's May? I don't know who that is. I mean, honestly, May Pang really was erased from history. Yeah, she was. Unless you really get into John history, not even Beatles, John history. You mm-hmm. don't know shit about her. Absolutely nothing. I honestly didn't even know who she was until our friend's muses did an episode on her. And I was yeah. like, wait, who is this person? Yep. 
And honestly, it's weird too. That's the interesting thing about doing this series is that you get every story slightly differently. Because mm-hmm. when I did Paul, if you've listened to the Paul episodes, Paul says he didn't talk to John until he talked to Yoko. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whose story to believe. There are so many differing stories. And honestly, they were all probably high or drunk because yeah. they all loved drunk drinking and smoking, which is fine. But like, and it every, also leads to like misinformation. Yeah. And everybody has w- at least one, possibly two or three of their own memoirs and autobiographies yeah. that they have written. And it's different stories of the same event in every book. So right. who the fuck are you supposed to believe? Yeah, that's the crazy thing about it. That's the conspiracy. So what you're saying is the classic rock channels don't play the Beatles because they can't trust the Beatles. <gasps> That's it. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Either way, I think it's interesting because I feel like the two stories from the John and Paul episodes are very different. Yes. And definitely but, paint Yoko either in a good light or a bad light. But that kind of makes sense because Paul had one view of Yoko and John clearly had a different view of her because he was closer to her but also he was in some weird fucking psychosis. Right. Well, um, I just think it's interesting because I think the Paul story paints Yoko in a more positive light. Yeah. In in kind of a way. Yeah. It's it's so fucking weird. It's so weird. I don't wow. know. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. But honestly, if it weren't for May, he would never have rekindled his relationships that he had thrown away years before. Yeah. No matter whose story you want to believe, this time he had with May, if it didn't happen. Positive. Yeah. He might have been a drunken fucking mess, but she really did try and help him so much. Mm, and he he probably would have gotten over his like partying days yeah. eventually, but... Yeah, it it could have been so much better. Yeah. If he had stayed with May. Again, I don't hate Yoko, but May, I think, was a better, a more healthy relationship. She actually tried to encourage him instead of dominating him. Yes. Mm. Back in New York, Yoko became pregnant with John's second child. Despite having three miscarriages, Yoko contemplated getting an abortion, Mm. although some sources quote John as saying Sean was a planned pregnancy. Either way, the couple decided to keep the baby mm-hmm. under the condition that John became a house husband, yes. to which he agreed. Mm-hmm. Sean Taro Ono Lennon was born on John's birthday, October 9th, 1975. I did not realize he was born on his dad's Neither birthday. Neither did I. Kind of crazy. It was obvious that John was in love with his son and wanted to raise him properly. Hmm. But the way John treated each son was distinct and obvious. Mm-hmm. It was like he knew he fucked up with Julian, so he tried extra hard with Sean. Mm -hmm. But Julian was still there, and John could have fixed things with him. Mm -hmm. Instead, phone calls became fewer and farther between while he concentrated on spoiling his new baby. That makes you a rat dad. Yeah. Yeah, like... If you wanted to fix the way that you raised your first son... Fix your relationship with your first son. Yeah. Don't try and fix it by spoiling your second son and making it obvious that you're spoiling this kid to your first son. Yeah. That's how you fuck up your first son even more. (laughs) Good job. So, like, your whole plan was dumb from the beginning (laughs) and, like, 
you just fucked it up. You made it dumber somehow. You made it even worse. Anyway. Julian wouldn't even meet his baby brother until Sean was two years old. Because he just like, he was just like, nope, I'm going to concentrate on this kid now and spoil the shit out of him. But like, I'm making up for what I fucked up with you. So like, fuck off. Sure. Yeah. For the next five years, John and Yoko took a break from public life and concentrated on their family. The rift between John and Julian would never really heal as John never got help for his explosive temper and erratic outbursts. Nope. Julian, when he was visiting with John and Yoko, learned to tiptoe around his father and anticipate his outbursts after one particular incident. The family was having breakfast and joking around when Julian giggled. John turned to him in a fury and screamed, I can't stand the way you fucking laugh. Never let me hear your fucking horrible laugh again. And sent Julian to his room crying. And after that, Julian was like, I can't. I can't do anything around my dad. I really want to make up for how shitty I was to my first son. I'm going to make him feel bad about everything he's ever done in his fucking life. I'm going to emasculate him in front of everybody and then tell him he's a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. That fixes everything. This is your symbol of peace and love, everyone. Exactly. That is like the hypocritical thing about John is that. His entire solo career was about peace and love and anti-war and being kind to one another but and loving person, one another. But as a person, he, wasn't he was the most exclusive, most <laughs> insulting piece of shit to his own fucking offspring. Yeah. His well, only family. one of them. And only one. Well, there were some times when he was not the greatest dad to Sean either. Okay. But it was very, very prevalent in his parenting towards Julian. Ugh. Yeah. And Julian, like, looks exactly like him and sounds just like him, too. I think now Sean looks exactly oh, like Oh, they've John. done a little flipperoo. Holy shit. Okay. Sean looks exactly like like John. That's Julian, crazy. definitely. Julian's funny because, like, from his nose up, he is Cynthia. From his nose down... He's his dad. That's funny. But I think I think Julian looks far more like Cynthia than he does John. Oh, wow. Sean, however, holy fuck, spinning image. It's Crazy. creepy. Messed up, man. <laughs> Either way, like, Julian is permanently fucked up because of his father's behavior. And that's so wrong. Yeah. He did the he same had, thing to his kid that was done to him. He had an infinite amount of opportunities to fix to permanently fix his rift with Julian and to be just a good dad. And he wasn't. Nope. He fucked it up every time. Yeah. The ebb and flow of John and Julian's relationship was at a high point in 1980. John and Yoko had an apartment at the Dakota building in Manhattan across from Central Park and were running their business empire from there. They owned five units in the building, including an entire unit solely for housing John's instruments. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Neither did I. Jesus. Five units. That's a lot. Yeah. That's expensive. Although 1970 or 1980 money, not as expensive as it would be now. Probably. <laughs> they yeah. could afford it. John and Julian were finally getting their shit together when one of the worst tragedies in modern history happened right outside the Lennon's door. Remember when I said earlier that John's Jesus comments would be pretty instrumental in his death? Wait, let's rewind this. Yep. Look at the tape. Oh, yes, I do remember mm. this. So here's why. 
Way back in 1966, an American man named Mark David Chapman heard these comments and was incensed over them. He Wasn't ha- he like a kid? Or like a teenager? Yeah, kind of. Why do you care? Because mm. he's nuts. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> He yes. had been a casual Beatles fan, but a hardcore Christian. So saying the Beatles were bigger than Jesus was blasphemy. Mark David Chapman clearly had some mental health issues mm-hmm. that at the time were quite unchecked. Yeah. Um, I don't think he was ever officially diagnosed with anything, but he definitely had paranoid schizophrenia traits Ooh. Um, and some other stuff. But he definitely had something wrong with him. He had he maybe had OCD because he had a lot of obsessive traits. He obsessed yes. over a lot of things. Yep. So the Beatles. Catcher in John, the Rye. Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> Todd Rundgren, for some reason, really? he was really obsessed with. All right. Um, and John Lennon eventually became somebody he became obsessed with. Right. Chapman was not really a Beatles super fan like many have reported. Okay. After John's death, everyone was like, he was uh, killed by a stalker. He was killed by a super fan. He wasn't. No, he really wasn't. Really. In fact, he was far more of a Todd Rundgren super fan, <laughs> though he casually kept an eye on John Lennon throughout his career. I don't know why Todd Rundgren <laughs> Was his object of affection, but <laughs> here sure, we are. Here we are. <laughs> Why not? Sure. Somebody has to be. Yeah. Why not it be this guy? Why not? Mark, David, go fuck yourself. <laughs> his anger flared again when Imagine came out. He was infuriated by the lyrics, telling him uh... to imagine a world where there were no possessions Yet John owned yachts and multiple million dollar estates around the world and was living a millionaire's life. And you know what? Chapman's not wrong. But also, that's not why Chapman was pissed. Hmm? He was mad because John said, imagine no religion. And that too. Like, he was really pissed off that John was, quote unquote, abandoning his religion. Because Mark David Chapman was a Southern Baptist, right? Or a Southern Christian, at least. Yeah, he was... From Georgia. His priests all said no possessions, but like are probably mega church pastors. Exactly. So maybe mm, you don't get to get mad about that. So maybe it's not just John. Maybe it's the entire Christian church. Maybe Mm. it's all of Christianity. That's kind of hypocritical. And kind of have been since, you know, I don't know, the Crusades. Maybe. But that's just me. (laughs) This isn't a religious podcast. (laughs) Theological podcast. Excuse me. So Chapman planned John's murder for three months. He originally flew from his home in Hawaii to New York City in October 1980, but got cold feet and abandoned his plans. You should have kept it that way, bro. So many times (laughs) Chapman was like, you know what? If this person had done this thing, then I wouldn't have killed John Lennon. Well, if my wife, if my wife (laughs) hadn't, or if my wife had you know, told the police that I was planning on doing this and I wouldn't have done it. Did she know? She knew the whole time. Oh. He told her at least twice that he was like, I'm having these voices in my head tell me that I need to kill John Lennon. You know, I 
did not go to this place that I told you I was going to. I actually went to New York City and I was going to kill him and I didn't. And she fucking knew that he had these ideas in his head that he had to kill John Lennon and she didn't do anything. Hey, lady, that's when you put your husband in the psych ward. Yeah. But you know what? She's still with him. So (sighs) maybe we should look at her, too. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway. Mm -hmm. So he went back home and he made an appointment to see a psychologist. Good. Mm. But skipped the session and flew back to New York City on December 6th. No, bad. The plan was back on. No. The next day, Chapman spent his time offering coke to taxi drivers and accosting James Taylor in a subway station. That's when James Taylor should have called the police. (laughs) Shoulda, but he didn't. (laughs) On December 8th, he went to the Dakota apartment building with a newly purchased copy of The Catcher in in the Rye, a book he was so obsessed with that he truly believed he was the main character holding Caulfield. Of course he did. Which, like, of a fucking grown, course. A grown man obsessing over Catcher in the Rye and thinking that he's holding Caulfield. Ugh. Everybody's what? phony. Oh, my God. The worst. You're a phony. Everybody's a, a phony. phony. No, fuck you. Uh. <laughs> I hate Catcher in the Rye. I hate I hate all of it. Like you're like all of this. I hate it. I don't even want to talk about it. I have to. It's making me. <laughs> he stood outside the Dakota the entire day, which would have seemed sus, but there was constantly a group of fans standing out there anyway, so he didn't look out of place. Right. Around 5 p.m., John and Yoko left the Dakota and walked to a waiting limo that would take them to the record plant recording studio. Chapman saw them, but got tongue-tied and simply stuck out his double fantasy record for John to sign. John signed it and handed it back, saying something like, is that it? Is that what you wanted? Chapman didn't say anything, and John and Yoko got in the car and left. They arrived back at the Dakota just before 11 p.m. the same evening. Yoko walked by Chapman first, followed by John, neither of whom said anything to Chapman. John had gotten a few meters away when Chapman pulled out a 38 Special revolver and fired five shots at John. Four of the hollow point bullets hit him in the back and shoulder, puncturing his lung and artery. He crashed through a glass door and fell on the floor and never got up again, mm. and he was pronounced dead on arrival. Mm. Chapman never left the scene. The cops found him sitting on the sidewalk reading his copy of Catcher in the Rye. He was charged with second-degree murder and subjected to multiple psychological examinations. I'm not entirely sure why he was charged with second-degree murder and not first. I was thinking about that. First is meditated, correct? It was 100% premeditated. So I don't know why second-degree murder. Is it because they're assuming he has some psychological problems? I guess so, because that was, like, immediately brought up. Yeah, that must be what it was. Yeah. Ugh. His defense team tried to use the insanity defense, but Chapman ultimately pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 20 years to life. He is still in jail to this day. Fuck him. And his wife still supports him. That's really fucking weird. In the meantime, John's family and the world mourned his tragic death. Everyone knows where they were when they heard John Lennon died, if you were alive. I was going to say, we were not born yet. Not born yet. Julian was living in Wales with his mother at the time and was only 17 years old, the same age John was when he lost his mother. Oh, my fucking God. Are you serious? Like, the, seriously, the amount of history repeating itself in this story is 
ridiculous. Oh, it's mind-blowing. That's awful. Only 48 hours after John died, Yoko announced that there would be no funeral. She had his remains cremated and then scattered in Central Park. Eventually, in that area in Central Park, it would be dedicated to John Lennon and renamed Strawberry Fields. Yep, I've been there. She didn't include Julian in any arrangements. Yeah, this is kind of one of the things I don't like about Yoko. Yeah. Because, like, yo, bitch, this Mm. is his son. Yeah. Come on. Like, have a goddamn heart. Even in a statement about John's death and her family, she did not include Julian in it. She literally quoted things that Julian said and didn't say didn't attribute them to him and like took them as her own quotes and then signed the letter Yoko and Sean didn't include Julian like again these are the problems I have with Yoko is she does have a bit a monochrome of like narcissism to herself Mm -hmm. that she sees herself as the an incredibly important person the protagonist of her own story but like everyone else is an antagonist almost so she can be incredibly narcissistic the same way john could be incredibly narcissistic exactly i that's again why they got along she had mimi tendencies this is what mimi would have done right because she probably saw it as like julian wasn't really his family anymore because he moved to new york city and was with me and sean and we were his real family but it's like that's not how that works no i'm sorry but it's truth that he had a family before you yeah whether you like it or not he had a family before you may would have attributed things to julian she would have mm. she loved julian mm. julian loved her yeah. and even she and cynthia continued to have a lovely friendship well after john had passed away mm. i bet yeah mm. so later on when the will was gone over it was pretty obvious that julian wasn't really getting anything yeah everything went to yoko everything went to sean mm-hmm. um Julian ended up staying with Yoko and Sean for a while after um, John's death in New York. They even like flew out a friend for him to hang out with because Yoko was not paying any attention to him. Yeah, no shit. And he was like, I don't know what the fuck to do. I'm alone. And like my dad just died. This point is like five. He's five. It's like, what is a 17 year old going to do with a five year old? Right. And Yoko was like coddling Sean and like trying to protect him for a very long time from the media and everything. And then finally told him that his dad had passed away and then was just like on him because she was his mother, which is so weird because like she was not that way with Kyoko. (laughs) And it's just like the difference in their parenting, her parenting of the two kids was just the same as John. I couldn't (laughs) figure it out. Yeah, it was the same as John. And I just I don't understand it. I don't understand how you can have so much love for one child and like no love for another one i assume it's because sean was the product of their love which i assume they saw as the most as their ultimate love and yoko had many miscarriages which is Mm -hmm. terrible and and they saw like sean as a miracle child that made it and yeah it's bullshit i'm not justifying it but that's probably why right i'm sure and Sean's just in here like, guys, I feel like you're putting, like, really unhealthy habits on me. <laughs> <laughs> guys, I'm but feeling yeah. really... Because Sean, to me, at this point, seems like a very well-adjusted person. 
it's I really can't say one way or another because I I literally have heard nothing about him since that one time in like the late 90s when he put out one single yep and we were like yeah this is cool let's hear more of Sean Lennon and then we heard nothing nothing of Sean Lennon yeah (laughs) so I don't I really have no idea what kind of person he is um I've watched him in interviews he he just seems fine he seems fine um so after um john had passed away yoko was quite cool with um julian while he was staying with them and by mm-hmm. cool i mean kind of cold but uh, <laughs> um at, there were like two times when she called on him to talk to him about okay. things and the second time that she called on him he went into like her massive bedroom and she was just laying in bed with an urn of John's ashes next to her and she was basically like do you want to like touch your dad and he's like no thank you <laughs> he's 17 he's yeah. so confused and it's like I'm sure that was her way of trying to be nice but yeah, it was sure. like that's a fucking weird way of trying to be nice to a 17 year old kid who just lost his father who like kind of wasn't usually there for him yeah and then before he left and went back home, she went to him and was like, you know, let's go into John's instrument apartment. You can pick any instrument you want from here. You can take it home and that and it's yours. Okay. So he was like, okay, I really want this guitar. That's It's a really nice guitar with like a mother of pearl dragon inlay on Ooh. it. And he wanted it because, like, he played it. He remembers his dad playing it. He had a special connection to it. So he's like, I want that one. And Yoko's like, you can't have that one. I fucking hate her. And (laughs) instead gave him two other guitars that meant nothing to him. And he was like, okay, I guess I'll take these. The next time he went to visit Sean and Yoko... Sean was in that room playing the guitar that he wanted Mm. when Yoko told him, like, nobody's allowed to touch that one. And Sean's just in there, like, fucking strumming all over it, drooling like a kid or whatever on it. He's like, I understand now. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Come to find out. So, John, when Cynthia and John divorced, Mm -hmm. John started up a trust for Julian. Oh. And he put 100,000 pounds in it. Yeah. Which today would be the equivalent of about $610,000 U.S. dollars. Yep. He put that trust up for them. And that the interest from that trust was how Cynthia paid for Julian and her to live, basically. She used that. She used the interest to pay for his schooling to pay for his clothing to pay for his food to pay for stuff like that are you saying that john did not pay child support that is exactly what i'm saying john did not pay child support or like cynthia didn't get any kind of alimony nope none that was it that was pretty much it she i think she got a little bit of money but it was only enough to like sell kenwood and buy a new house and that was pretty much it she somehow managed to, like, she remarried a few times and bought a couple houses. She opened a couple restaurants. She o- tried to open a couple B&Bs. Some were successful. Some weren't. Right. Um. So that was how she supported herself. But when it came to Julian, 
all of his school fees, anything he needed for school, and like just some money to get through the year, she would use the interest from that trust. And every time she wanted to withdraw money from that trust, she had to get John and Yoko's written permission because Yoko's name was also on that trust. Infuriating. I know. Anyway, so they built that trust for him when they divorced. And then when John passed away, they (laughs) discovered that there was also this clause where if John had any other children, that trust needed to be split between Julian and the other children. So now Julian's inheritance was now split in half. So in reality, he only got about $300,000 when John passed away. But John's whole entire like estate was worth multi-millions. And Yoko got all of it. See, this is why like I have my problems with Yoko. Yeah. She, and even though she got all of that, she didn't even offer to give any of it to Julian. Oh, no way. Oh, I thought Yoko was the most generous. No, I didn't. No. I I don't think that Yoko is that great of a person. No. Sure, she's creative, and I don't think at all she had anything to do with breaking up the Beatles. And I think there are times where I can feel pity for her. But overall, I'm like, Yoko's kind of not great. She's and not a John great person. wasn't great. Right. Neither one of them are great. I'm not saying that John was fantastic no, and Yoko I know was you're... terrible no. and a horrible witch. That's the I thing. would never say that. They were both terrible people. I think, and I hate it. Like, I don't hate it, but I feel kind of bad because I know we went into this being like, we're going to try to come out and tell you John's not that great. I'm going to was... try, but like. He wasn't great. He wasn't. And I kind of really want people to stop touting Yoko and John as A, a great love, B, some kind of like symbol of love and peace. Like, look at the way they fucking treated people in their actual lives. Mm -hmm. They were not good to people. They were not good to their family. They were not good to kids, their first kids. Like, there's a lot of problems. And that's, you know what? That's fine. Because they're humans and they're fucked up and we're all fucked up. And I think what I'm trying to get at here at the end of the day is, can we stop touting celebrities like they're Jesus? Just Quote celebrities unquote, in, Jesus. in general, period. Stop saying that this person symbolizes this. They don't. You want to know what they're? They're people with an opinion. And you can say, I agree with that opinion. You're yeah. say, I don't agree with that opinion. I don't wish them harm. I don't wish them death. I am very sad yeah. that John died. I very much um, agree with everything that you said. Mm-hmm. But I also agree that John was incredibly important to music, period. Yes. Not just rock and roll, to music, period. Mm -hmm. He did so much that I cannot deny. I'm not. Right. And I'm not here to cancel anybody. I'm not going to cancel John because he was extremely important to music. His music is amazing. Absolutely. And he changed the course of rock and roll forever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm also not here to cancel Yoko. No. Um, she did not break up the Beatles and I am 100% never going to blame her for that at all. However, can I just say really quick mm -hmm. what I will give both of them, especially with the inclusion of Yoko is I feel like their collaboration made experimentation in rock and roll more possible. Yes. I don't like it. Yeah. Like I don't like their work, Mm -hmm. but I think what they did together opened a door that wouldn't have been opened before. Yes. I agree. However, 
it is very important in this in this story in particular to separate the artist from the art. Right. So I can do that in this situation. Oh, yeah. I can separate John's work with the Beatles. Granted, I don't really like his solo stuff. Like it's fine at all. It's fine, but like I I can think of better. It's not all things must pass. It is not all things must pass. Let's you know honest. what? It's no band on the run. <laughs> and it is no 1985. <laughs> so it's a great song. It, it's a really great song. You know what? It's no Herman's Hermits. <laughs> but all of this is to say <laughs> it is no Herman's Hermits. <laughs> we no. did it. No, like I'm not going to cancel either one of them. Mm-mm. They don't. They don't necessarily deserve that because they did provide so much for music in its early days. It did form it. They did influence the formation of rock and roll as we know it. However, I am 100 percent holding their fire, their feet to the fire Mm -hmm. because they were shitty fucking people. They were not good people. And I really want everyone to really fucking look within themselves and say, do I have to put these people, John, especially on a fucking pedestal. You don't. Yeah. Stop doing that. You know what? I will still be like, you know what? You want to celebrate Yoko, especially if you are into her art and her music. I think as a female Japanese artist, she should be touted. Absolutely. And celebrated in her own way. It's not for me, but I'm not saying that that negates it, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. But we have celebrated plenty <laughs> of white men from the UK. I think we can take John off his pedestal and say... You know what? You had your time in the sun and you can sit down and just rest in peace. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, I am I'm very sad that John died because I think given time, if he was still alive today, I think he'd still I think him and the Beatles would have had a reunion. Yeah. Absolutely. I think um I think he might have even found some better help that he needed and you know, evolved from that and yeah. could have bettered his relationship with Julian. Mm-hmm. I think I think he was on the beginning of an upturn. And yeah. I think his death is fucking tragic, not just because of his musicianship, but I think as a person he was he was trying. Mm-hmm. And it it really 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 sucks that he is now not here because of somebody who had just completely unchecked mental health issues yeah it's it's like all of this is just to say mental health is fucking real Mm -hmm. and we need to be open and honest about it and say hey you know if you have a friend that you're a little worried about if you're worried about yourself if your significant other has some unhealthy codependent tendencies it's okay to stop and say hey maybe we should look into getting help. Yeah. And that's okay. And like, that's more than okay. You should just do it. If your significant other comes home and is like, I was just in New York City because I was going to kill Ed Sheeran or something. <laughs> I think he lives in London. Sure. Um, And they come home and they're like, I was going to kill them, but I didn't. You should be like, let's go to, um, let's go see a doctor. Yeah. And doctor um, time. maybe I'm going to report you to the cops. Mm, let's do that yeah yeah at the very least bring them to psych some psychiatric help yes but when all is said and done i think the main things we need to to take away from this is that john lennon is not god and you should not worship him as such no 
Yoko Ono was an extremely complex person with a whole lot of fucking problems. Mm -hmm. But hey, she didn't break up the Beatles. 100% did not. Hate her for other things. Because there's other things to hate her for. (laughs) She really treated Julian like shit. She did. They both did. (laughs) And also mental health is a thing. Mm -hmm. And we should all normalize it and... Make it discussable. Make it discussable and something worthy of seeking out help for. Yeah. So... So there we go. That's also, it. Julian and Sean are apparently good friends. Good. They should be. I'm glad that they are. They loved each other. Yeah. They absolutely adored each other you when know they what? were children. They changed the fucking shit path that their parents they put did. them on. Both of them have become pretty successful musicians in their own right. Yep. And, and they great. get along and they are trying to not repeat the re- mistakes of the past. So yeah. good for them. Good for them. Yay. Wow. This was a lot. I'm ready to be done with the Beatles. We're Can divorced. We... Um, I have the papers here signed up. The <laughs> yes. ink actually okay. isn't even dry. We're going to walk cool. around with our hands clasped together because we just divorced the Beatles. Cool. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds like a good idea. I don't need to talk about the Beatles again for a very <laughs> long time. Please don't ask us questions. Please don't try and discuss it with us. We're done. No, you can discuss no, and ask questions. Fine. It's fine. We can continue to talk. And I mean, especially, I actually would enjoy continuing conversations about yeah. the Beatles. It's I mean, fine. especially I just, because I'm just done doing research. Yes. on it. I am totally cool to talk to somebody who has another point of view and I'll be like, yes, please tell me your point please. of view. Please, Like, I love Cynthia and everything, but I'm done with her point of view. <laughs> She's lovely. She but is. Yeah. Or she was. She was. She passed away. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. The Beatles are complex human beings. And each one of them tells every story differently. (laughs) And you're like, I don't actually, you know what? At the end of the day, I don't know what happened. Yeah. The Beatles went on Ed Sullivan. You know what, guys? Trash all these episodes. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? We don't know what we're talking about. We got to the end. It's all bullshit. We gaslit (laughs) you. Thanks for listening. (laughs) We hope you guys overall enjoyed this series. We are going to come back next week. With the complete opposite of the Beatles. Please do. I am so excited. Yes, it is very different. And it's very fun and exciting. So Mm -hmm. buckle up for that one. Yes. Anyway, and if you are digging everything or if you missed any of the Beatles, you can go check out our previous episodes at our website, Mm -hmm. www.rockcandypodcast.com. You can also follow our social meds. We got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And you can comment on things or whatever. Toss us an email. We're cool. Yeah. Chat. All that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Also, we have a few options if you want to give us some money. Money, please. Because that would be nice. Um, You can subscribe to our Patreon where you can get some sweet swag and some bonus episodes every month. Mm -hmm. And you can get that at patreon.com slash rockcandypodcast. Or you can buy some of our merch, which seems to be pretty popular these days. Mm. We have some shirts, some sweatshirts. What do we have? Tote bags, masks, mugs, pillows. We have a whole bunch of shit over on TeePublic. Yeah. Who is a great little website. I like TeePublic. They've been fun. Yeah, they have been fun. And you just got some stuff from Muse's podcast. I did. I got stuff actually from our friends at So Wizard and from Muse's. Oh, that's um, right. I saw yep. your mask from So Wizard actually, and it is delightful. It's very cute and really comfortable. So I will say this about Tee Public. If you get a mask there, very comfortable. And then I got Good. a nice pillow for my reading nook where I do all of my research from Muse's and also 
very cute, comfortable pillow. So yeah, and you just bought some of our own merch. I actually also <laughs> bought a lot of our own merch, which we our well, tote bag can fit records in it. So that's oh, good. That's good. <laughs> it's good for some record shopping. So we'll, we gotta go maybe, crate digging. Maybe we'll post some pictures of you with our our stuff. We will, and also if you guys have pictures of you and our stuff, send it to us. We'll post it. Yeah, exciting. Yeah. All right. Cool, cool, cool. So I guess that's it for this week. Again, come in next week if you're interested for something that is the complete opposite of a white British man. <laughs> the, the exact opposite. Thank God. I'm tired of white British. I'm tired of white British men. All right. I guess we're not talking about white British men anymore. Thank Jesus. Thank Jesus. Mm. But also thank the Beatles because they're bigger than Jesus. Yeah. And you know what? Thank pirates. Thank pirates yeah and with that party on ashley <laughs> party on maggie and bye. party on you crazy kids out there bye mrs brown you've got a lovely <laughs> structure, structure. <laughs>